Welcome to Leading the Way, a ministry of Brooklyn Baptist Church in Chesney, South Carolina. Join us each week for practical preaching and foundational truth of God's Word. Here's the pastor of Brooklyn Baptist Church, Clay Collins. Thank you for listening to the broadcast today. Our prayers at the song and sermon will be a help and encouragement to you as you listen. Today on the broadcast, we're going to feature a song by our church choir entitled, The Cross Made the Difference for Me. Brother Kyle Collins does a wonderful job singing the verses on this song. And so you listen and we pray that it'll help you to worship the Lord today. Then we're going to go right into the message. And this message is going to be another part of our series of messages we've been featuring on the whole armor of God. And this series is simply entitled, Armed against adversity and today we're going to deal with that breastplate of righteousness having put on that breastplate of righteousness and we're going to talk today about having a righteousness in our chest and so get your bibles open today to ephesians chapter number six hear the song by our church choir and then the word of god preached it was a life filled with aimless desperation Without hope, walk the shell of a man. But then a hand with a nail print stretched downward. Just one touch, then a new. Oh, right, 
Number one, there must be truth in our core. But number two, it's what we're going to deal with tonight. There must be righteousness in our chest. He said, having your loins skirt about with truth, that is your core. There must be truth in our core. But there must be righteousness in our chest. Talking about the breastplate of righteousness. We've dealt with that loins skirt about with truth, but tonight we're going to deal with the second thing. Then other that we might be armed against our adversity. How are we going to be armed against adversity? How are we going to be armed against the adversary? By having our chest covered about with righteousness. Let's look at this quickly and I'm going to let you go tonight. First of all, look at the choice. Notice the word having is mentioned once again. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. That word having emphasizes there is a choice here. It is not something you're just naturally going to get up and just have. It is a choice that you've got to make to put on this breastplate of righteousness. So many people think, well, preacher, I've gotten saved, and so therefore I'm just going to take the highway. I'm just going to take the easy road. I'm just going to let my tube flow with the current of the river, and we'll get to glory one day. Well, sadly, if you do that, you're never going to do much for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you take the easy pathway and you never go against the current, you're just going to flow with the tide of this world, and the next thing you know, you'll find yourself landing on whatever hillside you come to but that's not what the word of God encourages me to do but the word of God encourages me to stand for what is right and to withstand and to brace myself with the armor of God there's a choice but number two there's a condition he said having own notice the word own there's a condition this goes to show me that I must do something with it I must put it on me Here's the thing, when we get to preaching about sin, we love to think in our minds about somebody else. We love to think, oh preacher, preach about those that ain't here on Wednesday night. But what about us that are here on Wednesday night? What can we do? Sometimes we look around on Wednesday night like this and we get to thinking, well, so-and-so's not here, I'm doing better than them, so I'm doing pretty good tonight, preacher. You preach that person is not here tonight. They're not here, but you're here. What can we do? The own emphasizes to us. The own is not saying that your fellow soldier just needs to do it, but we all need to. Having own, put it on ourselves. Listen, there is enough of God's armor to go around. We're not short staff, so to speak. We're not short on supplies. You're not going to go to God's word and say, Lord, I need the whole armor of God, and he's going to say it's on back order. Somebody say amen there. Everything today is on back order. Everything you want seems to be back ordered. But God's armor is not back ordered. God's time is not back ordered. The prayer closet is not on back order. He is not turning you away in the prayer closet or in trying to do what God wants you to do. But notice what he said, having on the breastplate of righteousness. We don't use that term breastplate a whole lot anymore. But there is a word we use probably more regularly that is a chest protector. What he's saying is you've got to put that chest plate, that chest protector on you. Now I know to some of us that still may not make a whole lot of sense. We talked about girding about the loin, uh, taking that uh, truth and gird about the loins with truth. 
We said that is somewhere right about the belly button area down to probably around the knee area is what that covers, the truth would cover. But the chest plate is going to cover the area from about your belly button and upward all the way up to somewhere about right here. You say, preacher, what is so important about this chest plate or this breastplate of righteousness? That is the area that is probably the most vital and the most crucial of your body. That is the area that has your heart in it, the biggest and most important muscle of your body. That is the area that has your lungs and the most vital organs of your body are covered in that area. You say, preacher, what's the big deal? Well, about every law enforcement officer you see is going to have a chest protector on or a bulletproof vest to cover those vital organs of their body why preacher did they wear it there because it covers those vital and most important muscles and organs and lungs of their body if any place to get hurt that is not the area you want to get attacked by but can I stop and say this in the Christian life we need to put on this chest plate this breastplate, in order that we might cover the heart the lungs and those vital organs that just just with one attack from Satan could hit us and wound us greatly. Amen. Preacher, what's inside the chest area? Number one, our heart. Our heart. Preacher, what's so important about the heart? Well, Bible said in Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23, to keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Amen. Keep thy heart with all diligence. How can I keep my heart with all diligence? Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Matthew chapter 15 tells us that those things which proceed out of the mouth, they come forth from the heart. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts and murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Preacher, what are you saying? All the things you and I struggle with and this world struggles with is a result of the condition of the heart that's right the heart must be changed and it must be cleansed in order that we be what we're supposed to be for Christ that is why Jeremiah tells us that our heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things who can know it but the Lord said, I know the heart, I try the reins. What I'm saying is this, our heart is wicked. It, it, it's not about turning over a new leaf. It's not about joining an anonymous association. But if you want to have a clean heart, you must go to the old rugged cross and let Jesus Christ change your heart and change you from the inside out. It's not about turning over a new leaf. It's not about doing this, that, and the other. But it's about getting genuinely, John 3, born again. That is how heart can be changed and cleansed. Preacher, what are you saying? He said, having on the breastplate of righteousness. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. That word righteous, it reminds me of the word clean. Preacher, why does it remind you of that? Because when you and I get saved, we get clean. You know, one of the things I've been studying a lot about prayer, I, I love to read books on prayer. One of the things about a lot of the, the great men of God of yesteryear that have wrote many great books on prayer, one of the things that impressed me the most and one of the things I've saw that I've just really has gotten a hold of my heart about prayer is many of the great heroes of yesterday when they prayed one of the first things they prayed about was being clean they understood the fact that if their heart wasn't where it needed to be their prayer wasn't getting any further than that ceiling you know what we're so focused about in our prayer how good does it sound did I hit all the things around? You ever notice sometimes we're so repetitious in our prayer that we go to pray and we're asking the blessing over the food when somebody asks us to ask the blessing over the offering you ever done that before? 
What I'm, what I'm getting at, I'm not being mean, but what I'm saying is we've just gotten so repetitious in our prayer. We've just gotten through going through the routines. We've got to pray around China and everything else to make sure our prayer sounds good. Let it be about two minutes, not five, not 30 seconds. Let it be just that right time. You know, we're all about impressing everybody else, but not about having our heart clean when we pray and talk to God. But those great prayer warriors and the great prayer warriors of yesteryear, they worried about God. I want to be clean. I want my heart to be right with God. Psalmist David prayed in Psalm 51, Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God, ever renew a right spirit within me. He understood what it meant to have a defiled and a violated conscience, and he desired to be clean in the eyes of God. Preacher, what does it mean to have on that breastplate of righteousness? It means have on a breastplate that is clean. Preacher, what do you mean about right? That word righteous means to be right with God. And not only does it mean to be right with God, but it emphasizes to do right. I want to give you this and I'm going to be done tonight. There's two kinds of righteousness in the Word of God. You study the Word of God, there's two kinds of righteousness you're going to find. There's a positional righteousness and there's a practical righteousness. You're going to find, if you study the word righteousness, you're going to find the word righteousness or righteous is mentioned all over the Word of God. You're going to find that it's a word, that it's a Bible word that we've read over and over again. We've saw the word righteousness so many times in the word of God. But what I'm saying is there is a positional righteousness. And that is you and I being right with God and being where we're supposed to be with God. And then there is a practical righteousness on an everyday basis. Preacher, what are you saying? Take your Bible and go back to Romans 4. We'll have you turn. Some of you is dwindling away on me. I have to find a water bottle, praise the Lord. All right, Romans chapter 4. Go back and look what the Word of God says here. Talking about the positional righteousness now. And I'm going to say this. I do believe the context here is dealing with both of these righteousness. And I'm going to explain why. Romans chapter 4 tells us how to be right with God. I don't know about you, but I want to be right with God. When I stand before the Lord one day, I don't want to hear him say, depart from me, I never knew you, into hell fire forever and eternity. I don't want him to say, I never knew you. I don't want him to say, I couldn't find your name written in the Lamb's book of life. I want to be right with God. But the only way that I can be saved, the only way I can be right with God is by God putting his righteousness on my account. That's the only way. The Bible is very clear that our righteousness is as filthy rags. It will never obtain salvation. The book of Titus uh, tells us in Titus chapter number 3 verse 5, it says, not by works of righteousness which we have done. Hallelujah. It were not saved by our works of righteousness which we have done but by His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. We're not saved by our own righteousness. I want to clarify that tonight. Amen. Look at Romans chapter 4. He says, What shall we say then by Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now that him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. What he's saying is Abraham was not saved by his good works. 
Abraham was not saved because of the works that he did. Abraham believed God. He put his faith in God. And God counted it to him for righteousness. In other words, righteousness was imputed unto him. Amen. What I'm saying is we are saved the same way and we become righteous the same way. Our righteousness is filthy rags. We can't obtain salvation. In other words, we our righteousness is filthy rags, but what we do is we believe on God, we give him, we put faith in Christ, and when we put our faith in Christ, God puts his righteousness on us. That's what happens at salvation. You go through the drive-thru at McDonald's, and I know a lot of you probably don't want to go there. But you go through the drive-thru at McDonald's, you order your cheeseburger, you order your chicken nuggets, your Happy Meal, whatever it is. You go up to that next window, guess what they want? They want money. They want your credit card, they want money. You take and you put your money and you put your cash in that hand. And they turn around and for that money, they put in your hand something that you couldn't make on your own, so to speak. That's why you went to them. What I'm saying is when you and I got saved, we couldn't save ourselves. So we put our faith in the hands of God and say, Lord, I'm trusting you. Here is my filthy rags. I can't save myself, but I'm putting my faith in your hands. And God in return puts out a happy meal out the window. Amen. And it's called the righteousness of God. It's the only happy meal I've ever got. Amen. It's the only thing that's ever made me happy. Amen. Was the righteousness of God. When I couldn't save myself, God said, just trust me. Put my, your faith in me and I will put on your account the righteousness of God and that is what he done when he saved us we couldn't save ourselves we couldn't obtain righteousness so we trusted him and he put on to our account the righteousness of God that's imputed righteousness imputed means to set to the account of to reckon to one what does not belong to him or to lay something upon him isn't it interesting that Ephesians chapter 6 tells us having on the breastplate of righteousness. To impute something or uh, means to lay upon it. So I want to say, positionally, I am righteous in the sight of God because I am saved. When God looks at me, he no longer sees those filthy rags. He no longer sees all the sin that I've committed. When I got saved, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleansed me from all sin. When God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, on my account, and I am righteous. Positionally. But practically, I can still mess up. Practically, I still fail God. Practically, I'm still living in this flesh. So let me just stop and say this. When you and I get saved, we believe God is counting him for righteousness. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. There's a righteousness there that's positional, but there's a practical righteousness too. Take your Bible and go to 1 John 2. See, that positional righteousness is what happens at salvation. That practical righteousness is what we call sanctification. It's living right in this life. Here's the thing. You say, preacher, I want to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I want to live in victory. I want to do all and having done all to stand. Well, number one, you've got to be saved. That's positional righteousness. 
But number two, you've got to understand practical righteousness too. Because here's the thing that so many people think. So many people think that they can live like the world and come to the house of God on Sunday and Wednesday, shout the walls down and have the joy of the Lord as their strength. That doesn't work that way. It doesn't. Amen. It doesn't work that way. Look at 1 John chapter 2 and go with me to verse number 29. The last verse of 1 John chapter 2. If ye know that he is righteous. That's talking about Christ. He is the righteous God. Ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. That's not talking about your position with Christ. That's talking about doing right. Doing right is a direct result of being right. In other words, my practical righteousness is a result of my positional righteousness. I do right not because I'm trying to be saved but because I am saved by the grace of God. It is a fruit. My practical righteousness is a fruit of my positional righteousness. He tells us here that those that do right, they know the one that is right. Amen. Oh preacher, you can't find nowhere in the Bible that we're to live right. Oh absolutely I can. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. If you have no desire in your heart to live for God and to do right, you don't know the righteous God I know. That's what he's saying here. Psalm 23 verse 3 says this, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's not talking about positional. That's talking about a day-to-day pathway of righteousness for me to practically walk in. Romans 6.13 says this, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and yield your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. That is practical preaching. That is dealing with the practical members of my body need to be in complete subjection unto what God wants that they may be used to do something right for the glory of God. There's a positional righteousness and there's a practical righteousness. That practical righteousness is a result of my positional righteousness. Please don't lose sight of that. Now, let me just stop talking about the problem with cults and false religions is they say if you'll do right, then you can become positionally right. They put the cart before the horse. That's the complete opposite. Positionally, I must get right with God first and get saved. As a result of the fact that I have been saved, I have a desire in my heart to do right, to come to church, to live right, to be faithful, to to work in the things of God. That is because God has saved me. Amen. So there is a positional righteousness. There is a practical righteousness. And he tells us here in Ephesians chapter number 6 that having on that breastplate of righteousness Here's the thing I want to give you last. Last place I'm going to ask you to turn. I want you to go to the book of Romans with me one more time. Here's what I'm getting at. Here's the goal. Here's the thing I'm getting at, church. We cannot stand against the wiles of the devil if we're defeated. And if we're in a place where we don't have victory 
And we're, not, we're in a place where, where we don't even believe ourselves. And we're just, I mean, we're defeated. There's doubt. There's distractions. We're living halfway in the world, halfway in the church. We're in that mess kind of lifestyle. And that's our Christian walk. And that characterizes it. We will not be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Look at Romans chapter 8 verse 1. That's what I'm going to leave you off at. Most of the time, every time this verse gets preached, they preach the first half of it. And we shout the walls down, but we never touch the latter half of verse 1. He said, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. There's positional. I'm not condemned because positionally I'm in Christ Jesus. Then there's a comma. Then it says, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That doesn't mean that we're saved based on the fact that we only live right every day. But what it is saying is here, there's two different condemnations. Positionally, I'm not condemned in the sight of God because I'm saved. But practically, I can walk around with a violated and a severed conscience and feel condemned and defeated because I'm not walking in the spirit, but I'm walking in the flesh. Every time you sin, I hope you feel conviction in your heart. If you don't, then you're not one of his. Amen? But here's the thing. When I sin, I feel condemnation. I feel conviction. I feel defeat. I feel the Spirit of God said, you shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have looked at that. And I feel a sense of defeat. And I have to get my nose in an altar in the prayer closet. Say, God, forgive me for doing that. Cleanse me. Forgive me. I've severed my fellowship. I've got a violated and a, and a, and a, and a, and a broken spirit about me. Because my fellowship has been hindered. See, positionally, even though I'm not condemned positionally, I can walk through this life practically and not have the joy of the Lord as my strength. And that is where the average church member is today. You know why Sunday comes around and the majority of church members sit here and they're like, why in the world is they shouting? Why in the world is anybody excited about this? I mean, I got saved and it ain't all tulips. It ain't all roses. You know why? Because they're sitting there on that church pew and there is condemnation. And there is guilt. And there's an uneasiness because the preacher is preaching against something that they just did last night. And the preacher is preaching against something that they just watched this past week. And the preacher is preaching against something that they just gossiped about this past week. And all of a sudden when the preacher gets on those subjects that are a little bit uneasy in that Bible, they begin to feel some condemnation. They begin to feel some conviction. They begin to feel a sense of guilt and begin to feel a sense of, man, I made a mistake. I, I shouldn't have done that. And here's the problem. They can't shout because what they need to do is run to an altar and say, God, forgive me and get help and get the victory over that so they can get back up and get in the fight and stay for the glory of God there's a positional condemnation and there's a practical every time you and I mess up and we give in to this flesh and we don't do what verse 1 says we don't walk after the spirit but we walk after the flesh you feel that and boy well, let me say this when you do it for a while it begins to linger over into the church you can get where the church don't seem to sing like it used to sing Church ain't shouting like it used to.
Thank you for listening to Leading the Way. We would like to invite you to our services at Brooklyn Baptist Church. Our Sunday school is at 9.45 a.m., morning worship at 10.45 a.m., and our evening worship is at 6 p.m. Wednesday night worship is at 7 p.m. The church is located at 8449 Paris Bridge Road in Chesney, South Carolina. If you would like to correspond with us, please do so by writing to this address. If you would like more information about our church or to watch one of our services live, please visit our Facebook page, Brooklyn Baptist of Chesney, or our website, brooklynbaptistchurch.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.